Welcome to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on May 10th, 2015, on the basis of John 14, verses 23 through 29. Have you ever been handed one of those lines? One of those lines that people use when they're about to break up with someone? You probably know the kind of lines that I'm talking about. Some of them some of them attempt to blame the breakup on the circumstances. I'm just not ready for a commitment right now. I have some things that, that I need to work on. I need to spend some time focusing on my career right now. Other lines actually seek to give the impression that the person doing the breaking up is the problem. Well, I just feel as though, as though you're too good for me. I don't deserve you. I don't want to hold you back. And of course, the ever-popular, it's not you, it's me. Have you ever used one of those lines on someone? Has someone ever used one of those lines on you? If so, you probably know that they don't actually help at all. Getting dumped hurts already, and getting handed a disingenuous line whose sole purpose is to try and and smooth things over a a little bit usually just makes it worse. Well, imagine for a moment a situation that is much more serious than getting dumped. In honor of Mother's Day, we'll sort of highlight the wonderful mothers that we have in our room today by imagining an awful example of motherhood. Imagine a mom of a three-year-old boy who one day decides to sit down her child and say, you know what, I've decided to leave. I'm going away and I'm not coming back. But don't worry, I've taken the time to write down everything that you'll ever need to know in life. It's all right here in this notebook. You can refer to it whenever you need to. And I know it seems tough, but but I want you to trust me that this is actually for the best. In fact, you'll be better off without me. That maybe describes a little bit of how Jesus' disciples felt as they sat there in that upper room with Jesus the night before he died. In the course of their conversation, Jesus had said several times, I'm going away. I'm leaving you. You can't follow me. Now, of course, these were grown men, but they were also three-year-olds. They had spent just three years with Jesus, three years to prepare them for the rest of their lives without him. And now in these verses, Jesus was saying, not only am I leaving you, not only am I going to a place where you can't follow, but you should actually be happy about this. You are going to be better off without me. You think it maybe felt a little bit like one of those lines? You see, as human beings, we can very easily fall into the trap of expecting to see Jesus in our lives in very specific ways. For these disciples, for the past three years, they had gotten very used to Jesus being in their lives in a visible, obvious way, in a way that they could actually see. Whenever they had a question, they could ask him. Whenever he did a miracle, there he was. Of course, you and I have never seen Jesus with our own eyes, but But we too can very easily come to expect Jesus to be present in our lives in very specific, obvious ways. 
Have you ever thought to yourself, boy, I really need to get this job. I really need to get into this school. I really need these test results to come back negative. And so if Jesus is really there, boy, I sure would expect him to answer these prayers that I'm offering. Have you ever thought to yourself, boy, I'm trying to really be more patient with the people around me. I'm trying to be the bigger person in this relationship that's been on the rocks for a while. I'm trying to break all of my bad habits and start some new ones. And so if Jesus is really there, boy, I would expect him to reward me for all of this effort that I'm putting forth. Maybe you've thought, boy, I really just want to feel happier. I want to feel more content. I want these feelings of guilt and grief, of frustration and regret and loneliness to all go away. And so if Jesus is really there, I would expect to feel the difference that he's making in my life. In fact, here's maybe a a little test you can do. Have you ever thought about Jesus or felt about Jesus the way that a person might feel after getting dumped? Have you ever felt about him the way that a person might feel about a parent who has abandoned him or her in childhood? Have you ever felt left out in the cold, left behind, let down? Have you ever been frustrated with him, angry with him because he wasn't there the way that you expected him to be? Then maybe just like Jesus' disciples, we've, we've sort of grown accustomed to expecting Jesus to be present in a very specific way. So when Jesus said to his disciples, well, I'm not going to be present in that way anymore, but don't worry, you should be happy about this. You'll actually be better after I'm gone. What exactly did he mean? Well, Jesus wasn't leaving them completely. He wasn't leaving them once and for all. But Jesus wanted them to know that from this point forward, after he removed his visible presence from this earth, he would still engage with people. He would still interact with them. But now he would do so through his word. And Jesus wanted his disciples to know that if they listened to his word, if they obeyed his word and believed his word, this is what would be true. He said, My Father will love them, And we will come to them and make our home with them. In other words, Jesus would no longer appear visibly before their eyes. From here on out, Jesus would be present in their hearts. So is that really better? I have to ask, when was the last time that you tried to cope with a situation? When was the last time that you tried to console yourself by saying, that's okay, it'll all be all right. After all, I know that Jesus lives in my heart. You see, when it comes to this idea of Jesus living in our hearts, I think one of two things can very easily happen. On the one hand, we can view this idea sort of as a little bit too touchy-feely. Maybe something that's good to tell the kids, right? They get a kick out of it that Jesus is living in their heart. But let's be honest, something that the grown-ups maybe don't appreciate all that much. On the other hand, we maybe fall into the trap of trying to overanalyze it, trying to dissect it, trying to understand it. What exactly does it mean that Jesus lives in my heart? In fact, for years, 
Theologians have studied this and tried to come up with answers, even have a fancy Latin term to describe it. They call it the unio mystica, the mystic union. What exactly does it mean? How exactly does it happen that Jesus lives within me? Well, in either case, I'm guessing that we don't draw a whole lot of comfort from this idea, and maybe we don't even think about it all that often, that Jesus now lives in our hearts. Well, from here on out, when, when you think about that idea or when that idea comes up, I want you to, to picture two different things in your mind. First of all, have you ever walked into a hotel room that you immediately wanted to walk right back out of? Maybe you pulled back the sheets on the bed and there was this disgusting-looking stain there. You kind of shuddered to think of, of where it came from. Maybe you went into the bathroom and the sink and the toilet and the shower. They just they weren't as clean as you would expect them to be. Maybe there was even an odor, some sort of unsavory smell that filled the entire room, and for all of those reasons, you just wanted to leave. Well, hypothetically speaking, if that is sort of a decent picture of the natural condition of our human hearts, and it is, do you think Jesus would want to live there? Do you think Jesus would want to make a place like that his home? Not just for one night, not just for a couple of nights, but permanently? Absolutely not. The sinless Son of God simply would not and could not make for his home a place that is stained and sullied by every kind of sin. And so the fact that he has made his home in your heart is proof that the condition of your heart has changed. Proof that every single sin that you've committed has been scrubbed completely clean by him. Proof that every disgusting thing that you've ever done has been disinfected, washed completely clean by his blood. His death on the cross has made your heart a home that is fit even for him. That's the first thing I want you to think about. The second thing I want you to think about is this. Right now I'm in the middle of reading the book American Sniper tells the story of a Navy SEAL named Chris Kyle who fought for our country over in Iraq and who has the distinction of having the most confirmed kills in the history of the U.S. military. One of the very first missions that Chris Kyle was on in Iraq was when he and a bunch of Marines went into a city that had been taken over by insurgents. And the very first thing they did in that city was they took over a high-rise apartment on one end of the city. And there in that apartment building in one of the very top floors from one of those apartments, Chris Kyle set up shop with his ammunition and his weapons lying on top of a turned-over baby crib. And so as those Marines went out into the city streets day after day, to take back building after building and block after block. And as those insurgents came out to meet them, there was the American sniper, ready and waiting to pick them off one by one with deadly force and pinpoint accuracy. 
Friends, if Jesus is living in your heart, if he has made his home in your heart, do you think your heart is well protected? Sometimes it might seem as though the devil and the world around us are throwing all kinds of temptations our way. Sometimes it might seem as though we are defenseless and powerless to stand up against those temptations. But this picture of Jesus living in your heart should give you the wonderful comfort of of knowing that Jesus is there to protect you. That Jesus is there to keep you safe. To pick off your enemies one by one and to keep you strong in your faith. So yes, when Jesus says that we'll be better off without him, it's it's not just a line. Now that he has removed his visible presence from us, he, he makes his home in our hearts, something far better. And as I said before, the way that Jesus gets into our hearts is through his word. The two pictures that go hand in hand so well, Jesus living in our hearts, goes along with the one that John used in those verses from Revelation that we read earlier. In fact, maybe you've even seen a picture like this before, the picture of Jesus knocking at the door. When we hear God's word, it's as if Jesus is standing at the door to our heart, knocking repeatedly, pleading to get in. But here's the interesting thing about that picture of Jesus knocking at the door of our hearts. Do you know whose job it is to open the door? Our first inclination would probably be to say that it's our job, right? Jesus knocks, we open, we let him in. But actually the Bible says that by nature, when Jesus knocks on the door of our hearts, our response is the same as when someone rings our doorbell when we're not expecting it. Maybe we quick turn off the TV, we tell the kids to duck down and be quiet until the person goes away. When Jesus knocks on the door of our hearts, by nature, we as human beings want absolutely nothing but to keep him outside. We don't let him in. So it's not our job. It's not his job either. In fact, one of the things that's most interesting about Jesus' life here on this earth is that for three whole years, he was there speaking with these disciples, knocking on the door to their hearts every single day. And yet even after three years, Jesus never really got in. Even after all of his time with them, there were so many things that these disciples still didn't understand, so many things that they still didn't believe. And that's the second reason why Jesus said, you'll actually be better off without me. Here's what he said. All of this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So yes, Jesus was there day after day, knocking on the door of their hearts, and yet it wasn't until he left, it wasn't until he sent the Holy Spirit that Jesus actually got in. Friends, that's the exact same Holy Spirit who is here present every single time that you and I gather to hear Jesus' words. You know, about this time of year, there's an age-old epidemic that sometimes sets in in churches and among Christians. The weather gets really nice outside. The kids are on a break from school. The holidays and the camping trips provide a nice break for everyone from the day-to-day routine. 
But then right along with all of those breaks, we as Christians are tempted to also take a break from hearing God's word. By now you know that during the summer months, our schedule here at Good News is going to change just a little bit. Our Sunday morning service here is going to start at 9.30. It's going to be a little bit shorter. It'll probably last about 50 minutes. We'll take a quick break and then we'll reconvene for a short half-hour Bible study for the entire family. You should know that this change of schedule is not intended to give us all a little bit of a break from hearing God's word. In fact, the intention is actually the exact opposite. Hopefully, the earlier start gives everyone an opportunity to not only hear God's word, but then also enjoy all of those wonderful, good activities that we enjoy outside during the summer months. And hopefully, that shorter Bible study period that's right after church encourages more and more people to see the blessings and see the importance of continuing to dig deeper and deeper into God's word. Let me say this. I want you all to come. I want you all to come every single week. Now maybe that sounds like a bit of a line. The kind of thing you'd expect a pastor to say, right? But it's not a line. The reason I want you to come is because I want Jesus to continue to live in your hearts, continue to make his home in your hearts for all of the reasons and all of the blessings that we just described. The reason I want you to come is because I know that the only way Jesus gets into our hearts is if we regularly hear his word, where the Holy Spirit is there to work powerfully to open that door and usher Jesus right in. Maybe I'd ask it this way. Imagine if all of a sudden Jesus came to visit Mount Horeb. He got a room over at the new hotel in town. It's opening up in just a couple of days. And Jesus called up and invited you to go out with him to dinner, to spend some good quality time with him, to spend a couple of hours of uninterrupted conversation where you could just talk to him and ask him anything that you wanted. Wouldn't that be great? That's essentially what these disciples had for three whole years, right up until this very night, the night before Jesus died. And yet Jesus said to them, and Jesus says to us, that his presence in our hearts is even better than if he were present before our very eyes. And Jesus says to us that when he knocks on the door now, now that he has sent his Holy Spirit, it's even better than if he were speaking to us face to face. And so, yes, as great as it was and as great as that would be to sat where those disciples sat. Friends, when you and I gather here to hear God's word, we have it even better. Amen. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.